Today's reading is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish each other in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, our Mother and Father, through him. These words are a lamp to our feet and a light upon our faith, our path. Amen. This year, during this Thanksgiving season, I have been struck by the despairing hopelessness of what I have heard and read. Many lament the chaotic state of the world, the gaping divisions that plague our country, the epidemic of violence and hatred here and around the world, and we wonder, how can we be thankful when things seem so bleak? How can we express gratitude when disappointment and heartache is all we feel? After extensive lamentation and expression of grief, after acknowledging that the journey has never been easy, and that we have survived and overcome many odds, columnist Leonard Pitts suggests that we can be thankful for thanksgiving itself. Not only because gratitude is good for the soul, but also because the experience itself binds us to one another, especially when nothing else seems to. So is it possible to give thanks in the midst of disappointment and pain? Is it possible to live mindfully in the moment and be thankful when life feels violent and bleak? That is when I personally turn to the Psalms, especially Psalms of lament. I do so not because I enjoy lamenting, although it has value, but because sometimes there is nothing else to do but lament. How long, O oh God, how long will there be violence and bloodshed and injustice in the world? How long will people suffer and die? Lament acknowledges the hurt, expresses the grief, which are the first steps to healing and perhaps to thanksgiving itself. But the psalmists go beyond just lament and grief to gratitude and trust. Most lament psalms 
end with, but you are my God, I will give thanks to you, and I will trust you. I will complain, I will be angry, but I will thank you, and I will trust you. It's quite amazing, really. So I learned from the psalmist over and over again that giving thanks while lamenting is possible. And in fact, it's necessary. It's necessary for healing, for renewal, for new beginning. Because you see, it's easy to give thanks when journey is smooth and life is happy, but it takes strength and covenant and commitment to give thanks when things are not so bright. So I've come to believe that lament and gratitude belong together. Since gratitude is the acknowledgement of grace, lamenting without acknowledging grace would take us nowhere, for it is the grace hidden in the lament, in the grief, that moves us toward healing. So acknowledging the mystery hidden in the moment evokes us, or evokes in us, gratitude. See, a man who took great pride in keeping his lawn beautiful found himself one day with a horrible crop of dandelion weeds. So he tried every method imaginable to get rid of them. He used one herbicide after another, but the dandelion continued to plague his garden. Finally, he wrote to the Department of Agriculture, telling them about his problem, listing all the things he had done, and asking, what should I do now? What do you suggest? And a few days later, he received the reply, a short sentence, we suggest that you learn to love them. I do not suggest that we fall in love with weeds or pain or injustice, but I do suggest that as we work for healing and righting the wrong, as we lament and resist violence, we acknowledge the moments of grace often hidden and disguised. So this year especially, as I lament and grieve the state of our world, I realized how important it is to be intentional and committed to giving thanks and expressing gratitude. About recognizing grace and appreciating the dandelions even. And I realized that what I am most thankful for this year, perhaps, besides the obvious loved ones, privilege, comfort, is really the church. A covenantal community that is about good news. Because you see, our world has enough bad news, sad news. We need a place where we receive nothing but good news. So in the midst of a divided world, the church becomes a special place for community, connection, kinship, belonging, harmony, a community where we share a common faith story that nurtures us, a common mission that guides us, and a common connection or relationship, not only with God, but also with one another and life itself. 
And such community is sorely needed today. Some days ago, a few of us were discussing why church? Why is church important? The common answer was community. The church is a community, a place of grace and healing, a gift that is difficult to find anywhere else in the world. And sometimes, no matter how much we complain about our church, we know that it is the best thing we have. Perhaps I am deeply grateful for the church this year, because at the end of next month, I will be moving on to another church community. And I will share that information when I have. It is not finalized yet. So when it is, I will share it with you. But the church is the same here or anywhere else in the world that I go. So I'm grateful not only for this church, you, with whom I've shared 16 months of my journey, but also for the church universal. Because every time I move, I discover that I'm blessed with an instant community. I arrive, and immediately, I have a new community of which I am part, to which I belong, no matter its geographical location. Yet the church is not just a community, or any community, it is a covenant community. A community of good news that traces its roots 5,000 years ago. It connects us to God, to one another, to the universe itself, because a covenant binds us to one another through Christ, through our common baptism, our common faith story, and our common shared spiritual journey. And this covenant, I believe, distinguishes church from any other community. The first covenant was between Yahweh and Noah following the flood. When Yahweh makes promise to Noah that he will never destroy the earth again. So the covenant is one of promise and is symbolized in the rainbow. The second covenant is with Abraham, whose original name was Abram, but once God calls him to go to a land that he will show him, his name is changed to Abraham. The sign of the covenant this time, however, is not as exciting as a rainbow. It is circumcision. Circumcision was a dedication, a sacrifice of virility and life to a deity practiced in ancient religions of Mesopotamia. So through it, Abraham commits and dedicates his life and all that he has to God and knows that he belongs with God. And then we see the covenant with Moses and the Torah, the Ten Commandments, which the people were to keep as a sign of commitment to God. And then the covenant continues with King David, who was promised a royal throne and descendants, and then it's finalized in Jesus as a descendant of David, who is the embodiment of God's covenant of love with all. So this covenant is an agreement. From original Latin, it actually means to come together. 
A covenantal community comes together in agreement to partner with one another for the same purpose and mission and direction. Yet there is more to this covenant. At its core, this covenant is always about a promise, a transformational experience, and the good news of love. See, Abram's name is changed to Abraham, so he can begin anew, transformed. The rainbow itself is a sign of promise and transformation, because made up of two words, rain and bow, the bow always referring to archery, which along with the arrow was used as a weapon in the ancient world. And in the ancient world, people thought that when the gods were unhappy, they threw arrows down to the earth. But here, God transforms that arrow, the symbol of violence, into a symbol of peace and promise, into a symbol of good news. So the Torah itself is a promise that transforms those who keep it, who, who live in its spirit. And Christ always stands as the source and epitome of love. Hence, his is a love covenant and is always about transformation and a new beginning. Today, we do not have many covenantal relationships, except perhaps in church and in marriage. As marriage partners are in covenant, so are pastors and congregations. That's why a pastor is called and not hired. That's why all members of the church are called to participate in this covenantal experience that transforms and brings good news and promise. So it is in this context, I believe, that the Apostle Paul writes to the new Colossian church so they can become a covenant community to wear and to put on Christ to clothe themselves with love, God's most beautiful clothing design, to be kind and compassionate, patient and forgiving, embracing wisdom, humility, and continuing to create a community of harmony bound to one another. See, this word harmony is an interesting word. It literally means to fit together. It actually reflects covenant. And in the New Testament, the word symphony in Greek is translated to harmony. So it means to agree with one another. And of course, harmony by definition is about diversity of notes, voices, sounds that fit together. In the covenant community of the church, different opinions, notes, thoughts, gifts, all merge to synchronize, each instrument plays their part, and the sound of harmony is heard, hopefully, in our discordant world. So sometimes I prefer this image of the symphony orchestra for the church to the image of the body. <clears throat> With each instrument, its own voice, the boundaries seem more clear and a covenant relationship always 
functions better when the boundaries are clearer. So I often hear, or sometimes hear, questions. Who is in charge in this church? Congregation or staff? And I usually say, it's a partnership. Who is in charge, the moderator or the minister? The answer is, it's a partnership. It is both and. In a congregational church, the congregation is the decision-making body. But because it's impractical to have congregational meetings every Sunday to decide every decision that it needs to be made, the church council acts on the behalf of the congregation in making decisions. Yet there are a variety of decisions. Some are made by the congregation, some are made by staff, some are made by council, some are made by ministers, some are made by ministry teams, and more. The point is, each plays their instrument, their gift, and each tries to fit the symphony orchestra that is playing. So in a covenant setting, no matter where the setting is in the world, one experiences transformation, one hears the good news, and one sees the promise that is given. For no matter what happens in the world, in this covenant community that is called church, there is always good news. And we do not have to despair because the news is about transformation, new beginning, new life, and promise. Thanks be to God for a covenant community. That is what I'm grateful for, for no matter where I go, it is there and receives me as if I am one of its own, as you are. Amen. <laughs>